Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Our scripture reading today is from Luke 19, verses 29 through 42. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, if they keep quiet the stones will, will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he leapt over it, and said, If you even you had only known this day, what would you bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. Amen. Good morning, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. It is Palm Sunday. And this is the day that the church traditionally celebrates the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. Everything in Jesus' life had been building up to this moment. Everything had been culminating in this day. And what we find here is this is just actually just a few more days until he ends up on the cross. And so what I'd like us to do this morning... What I'd like for us, for us together collectively to ponder and think about is how did Jesus go from this moment when he's the most popular man in town, when he is loved by the crowds, when people are screaming his, names, his name, people are laying palms down in, in other passages. All four Gospels report this event in different versions to show us the full glimpse of what's happening here. People are laying down palms. In our text in verse 36, they're laying down cloaks. Palms were a tradition about, uh, you put those down for a king. And cloaks were actually go back to Jehud, who was king of Israel. Uh, you can go back to Second Kings, and they lay down cloaks while, as he comes into town. And so over and over, what you see is the highest moment in Jesus' life He's the top of popularity right now. And he goes from this moment to becoming the most killable person in Jerusalem. How'd that happen? We should look at that because 
not just from a historical kind of question about how, how does that happen, but I've asked myself this whole week, would I have been the type of person to have been laying down palms on this day and then a couple days later pick up stones to throw at him? Would I be that type of person to do that? Uh, because I think what Jesus shows us, the surprising thing about Jesus is the very people who you think would love him, the religious elites, the, 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 the priests of his day, they end up hating him. And yet the people who you think would hate him, the non-religious, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the secular people, they end up loving him. And so for us, I think what that means is we need to at least pause and say, am I the type of person who thinks he loves him but really doesn't? Or am I the type of person who maybe we don't think we do love him, but maybe we could? Maybe we would. I think the text shows us two things here. Jesus is the king that we don't want, but he's the king that we need. He's the king that we don't want, but he's the king that we need. So first, the king that we don't want. Trivia question for you all. How many times does Jesus cry in the Gospels? Two. Wasn't really, I didn't really give much time there. But, um... (laughs) two. There's John chapter 11, shortest verse, another trivia question, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept, John chapter 11, right before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he's talking to Mary. But the second time is in our text here, Luke 19. But why is he weeping in our text today? Though, if you get down to verse 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he wept over it. The uh, illusion here is that he's weeping. He sees Jerusalem, which is called, it's actually, by the way, the word Jerusalem means city of peace. He sees the city of peace. He sees people who want peace. And yet he also sees the fact that they don't know how to get it. It says here that he knows that it's hidden from their eyes. So the question is, why was it hidden? I'll give you some more um, statistics, some studies. Did you know that there was a study done where they gave people uh, math equations. They gave people math questions. And they said, solve these these math questions. But what they found is that if the question to be calculated challenged their political view, if the calculated answer that they had to give challenged their political view, it turned out that they were wrong 25 to 45% of the time more. And I think that's always interesting for me because we think math is facts, and if you're given facts, you can calculate the truth. But that study shows that we, what we want colors our ability to get to that truth. Why? Because we always tend to see what we want to see. I'll give you another study. Um, did you know that if you're listening to sad music, you tend to gauge the difficulty of climbing a hill worse than somebody who's, li- who's listening to happy music? Like, okay, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. All right, here's another study. Did you know that two rival universities can watch this? Individuals from both universities can watch the same football game, and they tend to report that, they're, uh, that the other team is fouling more than their team. Again, you're like, that's not surprising. But study after study shows us that our perception changes, shades reality. And so what that means is, I think most people would agree to this, that yes, we need truth, But when it comes up against what we want, we always see what we want. And the same thing is happening right here. Jesus is weeping because he's looking around and he's seeing people 
looking at and wanting, seeing what they want to see in the person of Jesus. See, they want peace. Who doesn't want peace? But the way they think they can get peace by looking at Jesus is different. I'll give you two groups of people. First group, the crowd. The crowd here, by the way, wasn't just the town of Israel, uh, the town of Jerusalem. It was the whole surrounding area. Scholars think it had, it had, because of Passover, about three times as many people were in there. And these people had come from the surrounding area, and they came with reports with what Jesus had done. Look at verse 37. It says here that, in verse 37, when he came near the place, the, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. See, there was all these people started talking to each other and said, hey, did you see the fact that he raised that girl from the dead? Did you see the time when, when he uh, uh, healed the leper? Did you see the time when he raised Lazarus from the dead? So people started making an account, and all these miracles made the individuals that they were talking to each other, uh, they see Jesus like a rock star. Like, they were like, this guy, this guy's the guy. He's going to be the guy. Maybe they didn't say it in a Long Island accent, but... Um, they, but look at the logic here. They see Jesus able to heal bodies, and they see Jesus being able to raise bodies from the dead. And so they, they look at Jesus and they say, hey, this guy is going to be able to fulfill our need as a king because he's going to be able to overthrow the oppressors who were the Romans at the time. How would, how would he, could he do that? Well, he could, raise, he could take any army and he could keep healing them. Or he could raise them from the dead, kind of like... Um, was it the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? Those, the pirates were always, you can't kill them, right? Because they, they stole that gold and, and everybody tried to go after them, but they kept living. Or I guess it was Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. He, he takes that army of the undead, and, and I think in Peter Jackson's movie version, he just, they just sweep through and nobody can kill them and everybody dies. Why? Because that's what you want. You want somebody who's going to be able to come in and be the fulfillment of what they think is the Old Testament prophecy, the, the, this warrior Messiah king. See, look at verse, and you say, how do you know that, Michael? Well, look at verse 38. They use this phrase. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a, a, almost a direct quote from Psalm 118. Blessed, it, there it says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But the people use the word king just to make sure you know what they're really thinking. That this guy is going to be our king. This was a messianic psalm that they're saying at Jesus to be the warrior king. They call him king. They lay down cloaks for the king. They lay down palms for the king. Because that's what they wanted to see in Jesus. The warrior king. But there was another group here. Look down in verse 39. It says some of the Pharisees in the crowd. There was another crowd in the crowd. And what do these Pharisees say in verse 39? They, what, they basically are saying here, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they wanted Jesus to say, Hey, this is crazy. You, you know, tell these pe-, they, They're saying to Jesus, Tell these people that you're not that kind of king. You didn't come to do that kind of work. Because what did they want? What they wanted is Jesus not to change the social order. They wanted Jesus to keep things the same. And so look at these two groups of people. One group of of people are like, change everything, Jesus. The other group of people, don't change anything. One group of people comes to Jesus and says, change my circumstances. Fix the physical world. Fix the, uh, the economic and political world. 
Change everything. The other group says, Jesus, I can't take any more change. Just, we, let's just use the social order we have. Don't change anything. Keep things the same. I need stability in my life. Does this sound familiar at all? Because I believe that inside our own lives, everybody has a place in our lives where we have an idea of who we want Jesus to be for us. Think of the statements that we might have buried in our lives. I call them um, if-only statements. If only my life was easier. If only I was married. I know some married people are like, if only I was single. If only I had more money in my job. If only... What, what are those phrases? Those phrases are... Some, there, there are ways for us to crown something in our life or someone in our life as king. Now, some of you might say, well, no, Jesus is my king. Yeah, but look what the crowd did. Look what the Pharisees did. You can believe that and yet have manipulated and moved Jesus into something that he's not. We bend him to fit into what we want. And I think that we have to ask ourselves, where, where are we doing that in our, in our life? Because whatever it is, Jesus is not the king that we want. And I ask this because whatever Christianity is, when you're sitting here, if you get one thing today, please hear me say this. Christianity is not asking you to just become more religious. The people in this text, all of them are religious. The Pharisees, the high priests, of course they were. But the, the people, the crowd, they, they're quoting the Psalms. They've obviously memorized them. These are religious people, and Jesus is saying, that's not what it's only about. That is not what it's about. See, what they had done is they had selectively picked, in the book Isaiah, the early parts of Isaiah, Jesus is a, uh, sorry, the Messiah is a warrior king. But they've forgotten the second part of Isaiah where, Jesus, where God is, the Messiah is a suffering servant. The Messiah is a bruised reed. Somebody who will be beaten, somebody who's, who's not beautiful. And I think that's, by the way, half our, over half our passage is about this cult. You say, why so much time is spent on that? Because it was Jesus' way to try to challenge people's views. Because the warrior messianic king, of course, would have come in on a, on a steed, on a stallion. And the Pharisees would have argued that the Messiah wouldn't come in at all. But Jesus rides in. He's saying, no, I am king. But I'm not the king in the way that you wanted. A colt, by the way, uh, in some other versions, it's a donkey. Most people think this was a colt of a donkey. This was a young donkey. And he's sitting on this donkey as a way to confront our expectations that we have for him. And I believe if we just sat for a moment with this text, we would realize in our heart of hearts, whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, that he's not the king that we really want either. And I guess I, I just want to ask before we move on, can you handle that? Can you handle that maybe your view of Jesus right now does not fit into the real view of Jesus? That maybe your expectation for Jesus is not who Jesus really is. Maybe your agenda for him is not his agenda for himself. Maybe your agenda for yourself is not his agenda for you either. He's not the king we want. Okay, last point. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them. 
which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. But he's the king we need. How do I know that? Kings always bring judgment. They're, assess- they're either bringing judgment around others or assessing judgment inside their own society. They bring judgment. But this king did not just come to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. How do I know that? Because he's not coming just in strength. He's coming in weakness. Not on a war horse, but literally on an ass. Because Jesus is a conquering king. But he's here not to conquer what you want, but what you and I really need. Because think about it. Put it let, me, let, me, let me zoom out for a second. Let's play out. Let's say he does just liberate them from the Romans. You know what would have happened? Some other group of people would have come in and, and, and started oppressing them. Let's say that he just did solve their economic and hunger and, and poverty issues. You know what would have happened? It would not have fixed another version of that to come in. This is why it's so important to remember, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, everybody's in awe. But Lazarus is not alive today, is he? He died, which means it was only temporary. Jesus had to come in a very particular way because he knew unless he went after evil and sin and death itself, all the other things that you and I think that we want wouldn't actually be able to be accomplished. So he shows up in a very particular way. What way is that? His whole life. Even this moment is is an example of not just in his teachings, not just in, in how he lived his life, not even in his death or the cross. It's an example of how the world works, which doesn't seem to make sense at first, but then when we start thinking about reality, how does the world work? To be happy is always to put somebody else's happiness first. To give up power is actually where there's true power. To be truly rich is to not actually need riches. To have real freedom means to bind yourself in love to others. See, over and over and over again, what we find here is that that is why when we give up our claims to power, there is power because it mimics the ultimate version of that happening, which is Jesus on the cross when he goes down to the depths to bring us up into the sky. And I think that's the point of what the story is saying here. And the people couldn't see it. They couldn't, they couldn't realize it. And Jesus is weeping because they want peace so badly, and yet they don't know how to get it. And that's what Palm Sunday is, is, is basically trying to remind us of. He's the coming king, but over and over and over again, he's not the king that we expect, but the king that we need. And if we understood this, I believe there's two major implications for our lives how to live out. So the last, this is how I want to end, is let's just look at two implications. First, massive implications. First is this, the pattern of kingship in our life. Jesus' kingship in our life 
What would that look like? How would that actually affect how we live our reality? I believe that Jesus, the way he does power here is completely and utterly different. I really wish, historically speaking, every time a Christian said, hmm, I'm going to uh, use power. I wish they would have done a study on this. There'd be no crusades. There'd be no might and right. Because they would have looked at this and they would have seen how Jesus as king creates a completely different pattern to how the world thinks of power. Because there's two, most people say, grab power, get it, go after it. Or there's other people saying, no, give up power, di- disempower, depower. Jesus does neither one of those. He doesn't run away from it. He obviously had it, but he uses it completely differently. Now we don't overcome people with swords, we overcome them with service. We don't overcome them with force. We overcome them with, with faculty, aiding them. Because if we make him the center of our lives, we won't move out to get power, but to give it. Because we see him doing the same thing. You, I know I'm speaking in generality, so you're saying, get specific. What are the particulars? Have we given up the way that we need our life to go today? Have we given up the expectation for how we think we need our life to go to have a life today? Have we given up? Are we okay with not having comfort the way we think we have to have comfort or control the way we think we need to have control? Have we given up the projection of perfection that we've spent so much of our life cultivating and spinning that we need other people to see? Have we let, have we, are we able to even just let our hair down and let other people see the mess that might be there? Because the core of our faith, this is it, the core of our faith is a man who dies for people who don't love him, who don't understand him, and if you really did place him at the core of your life, you would be able to die for people who don't love you and who don't understand you either. It would change the, 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 the fabric of reality. And I guess I'm asking myself, does that really typify my life every day? Does that typify your life? If he's the true king, where are you today maybe not allowing him to be king in your life? Is the pattern of his kingship apparent in how you live, in how you think, in how you, you, you see reality? Where maybe his lordship is not in your life? A, a friend of mine put it better than I could. He said this. He said, today, where might have you stopped doing or maybe started doing Something because Jesus is your king? That's a good question. I think every day from here on out, we get to ask ourselves, am I living a life on a donkey or on a war horse? Is that how I see my, am I, am I on a donkey or a war horse today? And am I, am I okay with that? That's implication number one. Last implication. I think the reason why we struggle, by the way, with the answers to that implication number one is we don't get implication number two. Which is, if this is true, then salvation really is by grace. Let's go back to the text again. This is implicit. But the people, when they're saying to Jesus, come as our king, what they're saying is, our problem is those guys over there. It's those Romans. Just fix us from those people. That's our tendency. Blame them. It's those Republicans. It's those Democrats. It's that social class. It's that people group. But you can zoom out whole theory, whole, whole concept of this. Capitalism says the problem there's not enough money. Socialism says, you know the problem? Not enough power to the people. 
Uh, conservatism says we're not holding on to the, the way things need to be held on to in the past. Progressivism says we're not charging forward well enough into the future. Every single ism says essentially if you want to be saved, do this, do this, and do this. It's, it's salvation by works. And every single theory is essentially saying, be good, follow our view, and then you're in. And yet the cross comes in and says, hey, those isms are nice. There's a lot of truth in them, but they can't save you because they can't heal you because they can't give you what you really need. Because our biggest problem is not out there. Our biggest problem is we don't even believe there's a problem in here. And Jesus has an answer for that. In fact, his answer is so amazing. He doesn't just show up and say, look how strong I am. Look how powerful I am. Look at all the things I've done. Now, be strong and powerful. Live in light of me. And if you're good and and you do things, then you'll get me. No. Because he got rid of his power, because he came in weakness, he's allowing actually access for everybody if we're willing to admit our own weakness. By being a king on a cross, he's trading in his cosmic crown for a crown of thorns. And by doing so, he ends evil without ending you and me. Right? He, he, he's, he wants us to have fixed bodies so his body falls apart. And therefore, you come to your king because your king has come to you. These people had to decide in this moment, in the next five days, are we going to crown him or are we going to kill him? And yet you and I today have the same question to get to ask ourselves. Are we going to crown him or kill him in our lives? And if we saw, if we really saw how Jesus completely gave himself for you, only then would we realize the proper response would be to completely give ourselves to him. How do we know if we've done this? What, are, what, are, what might be some signs? Has Jesus today become sweet to you? Does, he, does your imagination often go in that direction? Psalm 34.8 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord good. I, I love, it's a profound, simple phrase because the psalmist is not saying intellectually cognitize that, Jesus, that God is good. It's not saying come and, and be convinced that the Lord is good. It's saying taste and see. This is experiential language. It's saying uh, you can't just, don't go and read about the northern lights. In fact, don't even go see pictures of northern lights. If you do, you know what that looks like? A green blob in the sky. There's nothing that actually can bring you a sense of the Northern Lights unless you stood or sat in front of them. Same thing with the Niagara Falls. Pictures, words, all you're going to see is a bunch of rushing white water. But if you sat in front of of the Niagara Falls, what you would see, what you would have is an experience on your heart in the same way that you might sense the Northern Lights, come and sense and see actually who Jesus is, so he's so real to you, more today than he was yesterday, where God's goodness is not just a concept, but as a reality on your life, to comfort and to change in your innermost being where it transforms you through the very nature of the cross to move you and shade you. Um, uh, true story. A friend of mine a couple uh, days ago, she told me that um, she got sick and lost her sense of taste and smell. She took all the tests. She, uh, it wasn't COVID. But she lost her, te- her, her sense of taste and smell. And she said every day she would eat 
sushi. Not every day. But one day she ate sushi, and she couldn't taste anything. The next day she ate a great meal, couldn't taste anything. Every single day she kept eating, and everything was bland. It was, and she was, kept wondering, when am I ever going to get my taste back? Am I ever going to get my um, smell back? Last night, I get a text. <laughs> this is amazing. She's eating Italian wedding soup. Not the most tasteful thing, to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not the most flavorful thing. But she said it was the best tasting soup ever. It, her, her sense of taste and smell came back last night, and she couldn't believe what it tasted like. She, and it, it was so profound to her. She said she, just, she wanted to just fall down and worship because it was that good. In fact, losing her sense of taste and smell allowed her to realize what she was missing. She loved it all the more because she got it back. Friends, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you did, we would rejoice in the fact that we have, not just to intellectually know. The implication of grace, the second implication here, fills us with such gratitude and joy and love where it would put a sense impression on our hearts. Give me, let me give you a hypothetical. Two people... Both are Christians. Both say they believe in the goodness of God. Both believe Jesus is who he says he is and he died for them. Both, and this is hypothetical, right? On the same day, they both lose their jobs and their most beloved relationship. Both of them had the same exact experience. One of them is able to recover. The other one never does. Can never come back from that. Why? Early on as a pastor, when I was up in Boston, people would come to me and say, you know, I'm, having, I'm struggling with the goodness of God in my life. And you know what I used to do as a, as a young minister? I used to break out my Bible. I used to say, well, I got some help. I, I, got, I got you. Here we go. Look at this place right here. God is good. See? Look at this place over here. It says God is good. See? Look at all these places. See? So, so bada boom, bada bing. We fixed your problem. We're good. And they, I would get these blank stares back going, yeah, I know that. That doesn't help. And the reason why is because the knowledge of it is not enough. Because you can have an idea of it and not access to it. That's why one person in, in their life circumstance, they can't recover. But the other person, because somehow God's love was more real, it was more seen, it was more tasted, it was more felt that it protected them from the bitterness of life circumstances. And the other person didn't have that. And I guess the, I want to ask yourself, which person are you? Which, which one are, are, are we? Do we merely just know a lot about him or do we actually know him? Because today maybe you're, you're sad, maybe you're lonely, maybe you're scared, maybe you're frustrated. I got to be honest with you, the cross is not going to take you away from those circumstances. That's going to be real. But what the cross can do is it can give you the most powerful place in all of human history where you might actually see and feel and experience and sense God's goodness. Because he didn't do that just in theory. He didn't just do that as a sign of his love. He did that because of his love to enter into our hurt, to enter into the brokenness and bring us back from the brink. Many people today, they pray. You know when we, you know when we pray? We pray usually when, I, when I'm in need. Oh God, help me. And when we're not in need, no more prayer. 
Or we pray when we have time. Oh, I don't have time today. Can't do it today. You know what? Both those circumstances is when you're praying to get something from God, not to get God himself. But if we came and said, Jesus, it's so easy to start to say, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus, I want a more sense of your love for me in my heart. And if we came to him and saw that he's, if we gave all of ourselves to him, we would, we would very quickly realize he'd already given all himself to us. That he's the king to come find us, and now we can go and find him. And if we did that, friends, we probably would never say, ultimately, look what has become of this world. We wouldn't do that. We would, all we would say over and over again is, look who's come into this world. It would change our very reality and be in awe of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're not necessarily the king we want, but you're the the king we need. You've come in, you're saying I am the king, which goes after all the people who want that not to be the case, and yet, we're not the king that we think we need, And, and yet, because you've come in the way that you've come, which is inside the very fact of reality, when, when the, the, the God of creation who deserves all power, has all power, gives up that power. Father, it, it, um, it changes us if we allow it to. I pray today, this group, wherever we are, help us to see who you are and what you've done. And not to see it, Father, to taste it, to know it, to let it minister to us in all things. Your praisings in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website, To learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family, just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.